Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Well, it has been a week of worry and anxiety for me. Maybe it has been for you. There I was, Thursday evening, sitting on the couch, holding my daughter's hand when I realized that this would be the last night my 18-year-old Zoe would spend at home before going off to college. And I was a wreck, y'all. It was terrible. I did everything I could to fight back the tears. I had to even make up some excuses to leave the room a couple times. I was just trying to keep my best game face on. I woke up the next morning, uh, prayed with her and Marab, and I got to send them uh, to the West Coast. And uh, I've been eating ice cream every two hours since. Maybe you have had a bit of a worry or anxiety-ridden week. How many of you had kids go back to school last week or this week? A lot of y'all. How many of y'all sent off kids to college, maybe for the first time or again, second, third, couple of us? Yeah. Uh, how many of you are just, you don't have any kids at all to worry about, but you're still wrecked with worry this week, right? This, this is just kind of our reality, and that's what we've been exploring in this series, releasing anxiety. And uh, I'm so excited about today. I was uh, reading some research this week on this. I uh, found this really fascinating. We talked about this week one, but anxiety is not just emotional. It's not just spiritual. Anxiety is something that's actually very physical. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But I was reading an article. Did you know that scientists have now discovered a gene that actually contributes to anxiety? Did you know this? This is really good news for a lot of us, right? Because it's the SLC6A4 gene also known as the anxiety gene. Now, here's what the anxiety gene does. Some of us have a long version of this gene, uh, and some of us have a short version. And if you have the short version of this gene, it just means you're that much more prone to anxiety and worry. How many of you are now worried you have the short version of the gene, right? (laughs) Uh, But this is just part of our reality. And whether you have a short version or a long version, uh, worry is something we all deal with. We all deal with it. A recent study done, uh, published in in Time magazine, showed that the 40% of Americans are more worried today than they were a year ago. 40% are more worried. Anxiety just keeps growing. One in five folks in our country will deal with anxiety in some kind of uh, paralyzing or debilitating, uh, debilitating kind of way in their life. And it is now the number one issue that college students and teenagers are facing. Number one issue, anxiety and stress and worry. Uh, So this is something important for us to talk about. And that's what we've been looking at in this series. Uh, Week one, we we looked at some famous words of Jesus. How does God feel about all this anxiety, worry stuff? We looked at the words of Jesus. Jesus cared so much about this that smack in the middle of his most important sermon ever, something called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stops and he devotes almost half a chapter to this very topic of worry. He says, don't worry, don't worry. I know you're going to have worries, but, but don't worry. And he says this interesting thing. He says, look, look, look at the birds of the air. Right? Do they sow? Do they reap? Do they store away in barns? No, they don't do those things. And yet, the Heavenly Father takes care of them. He says, look, look at the flowers. Do, do, do they strive? No, and yet God takes care of them. Jesus' big message for us week one is, hey, are you stressed out? Are you worried? Are you anxious? I get it. 
And God, your heavenly Father, cares. He knows about your needs. That was kind of, we considered God's compassion. Were you all kind to yourselves? Some of you all thought those hand motions were silly until you remembered them this week, right? Uh, But then second week, Dean, last week, got to talk to us about what is the role of prayer in the life of the worrier. We talked about framing our anxieties, framing our worries and anxieties in prayer. And he taught from those famous words of Paul, right? Be anxious about nothing, but in all things, by prayer and petition, make our requests known to God and let the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding rule in our hearts. Provocative words. Is that kind of peace actually possible? Is that actually knowable? Is that actually tangible in our lives? And that's what we're hoping to uncover. Well, today we come to a really exciting moment because I didn't want to just talk about the scriptures and the theology of this. I wanted to get really practical. How do we take this biblical wisdom and work it out in practical ways in our lives? I thought of no better way than to invite uh, my friend Roger Edwards from the Barnabas Center to come and join us and talk about this. I want to tell you a little bit about Roger. Uh, Roger uh, was an intervarsity campus minister on staff uh, at UNCC and Davidson College. Um, he is a licensed uh, therapist and counselor, uh, and he has over 25 years worth of experience, which I teased him. I said, so he got licensed when he was 10 years old, which is just really amazing. Uh, but Roger uh, is uh, just a remarkable uh, person and uh, a dear friend of Lake Forest Church. Uh, and so I want us to give a thunderously loud summer welcome to Roger Edwards this morning. Can we love him? Boy, that's about as thunderous as yes, they that get, Roger. Not, that was, yeah. That's not bad, that's huh? Scary. Yeah. That's scary. Well, Roger, um, you know, we, we talked about this, but you, you and Lake Forest Church go back pretty far. Yes, we do. Uh, you might not know this. Some of y'all will know Mitch White, our executive pastor. Mitch and Roger were on InterVarsity staff at the that's same right. time. Uh, Roger almost got Mitch fired one time when they were both acting up, which is great. But my favorite story is that the very first Barnabas Center office uh, up by the lake, which is right. in Cornelius... Uh, was actually in the original Lake Forest offices there at Exit 28. That's right. That's right. And as the story goes, you tell me this is true, as the story goes, Mitch told me this, that Mike gave the front office window office, like the glorious office, to Roger to do counseling. Mike took the second office and he gave Mitch the janitor's closet. Yeah. Right? Is that it? it was a large janitor's closet. <laughs> Had running water in yeah. it. Say, what more could you want? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Roger, Barnabas Center and uh, Lake Force have been uh, friends ever since and, and partners in ministry. And we're really, really honored uh, to have you here today. Yeah. Um, so I, I, here's what we're going to do. Uh, rather than me talk, I've got a list of questions that are, I, I think might be some of the questions you have about this topic. And today, as I'm going through, you listen for your questions and, and see. And I'm gonna, Roger, I'm going to just ask you to share from your heart, your experience, uh, we know you don't have all the answers, uh, but this is something that you've walked with many people through. Uh, so, let, so let's jump in. First question, Roger, simply this. Um, we've been talking about worry and anxiety. Tell us how you define anxiety, and what are some of the anxiety-related issues that you see in your counseling office showing up in the lives of folks, folks like us in Lake okay. Norman area? You know, I was looking around to make sure I'm not going to tell a story about somebody that I'm actually seeing now. <laughs> um, that's right. You can tell them all my stories. Yeah, my, yeah okay. That's right. okay. Well, I, I define, for the purpose of this, I define anxiety as um, a pretty simple definition. Anxiety is the feeling that something's wrong. It's the feeling you get when something's wrong. 
I don't know about this side of the lake, but on our side of the lake, uh, if you're floating in the lake, you can't see your feet. I mean, is it like that over here, or do you have clear water over here? <laughs> so picture, picture you're floating in the lake, you've got a life vest on, or a little noodle, or a, or a tube, and you're floating, and everybody's having a good time splashing around. And you feel, or you think you feel, something cold slither past your leg. Okay. Um, that's anxiety. Your, your body um, automatically, like reflexively and in a blink, your heart starts beating, your breathing changes, your muscles tense, you get ready to take action or to, or to take no action and freeze. Um, and all that's flooding the brain before before you know it, and then your brain tries to access all that information and decide something's really wrong, I gotta figure out what it is. Mm. And it takes all that information and it comes to the only conclusion it possibly could, piranha. <laughs> right? um, and then you make, uh, then you do behaviors, you know, you either stop and freeze and hope that it gets somebody else and you get time to get out, or you, 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 you flutter out of, the, um, out of the lake. But anxiety is that feeling or the, the, the suspicion that something is wrong. It's a whole body kind of feeling. It takes, takes over breathing, the uh, digestive system, the muscle system, you tighten up. And some of you probably feel that and don't know what to call it, um, but that, that's anxiety. And I'd also say, um, just to kind of classify it, everybody experiences anxiety. It's normal to feel anxiety. If you're crossing a busy street with a small child, mm. you know, you, you feel anxiety. So I'm going to call that normal anxiety. Normal anxiety is when something is wrong and you need to pay attention. Something's wrong. I think you gave the example of a bear in your campground, mm -hmm. the first sermon. Something's wrong and you need to pay attention. Um, disproportionate anxiety, that's the second kind of anxiety, is something isn't all that wrong and you're paying way too much attention to it. And then there's a third kind that we'll talk about later in the, in the questions called spiritual anxiety, and that is there really is something wrong and you kind of know it, you place it on other things, but there is something fundamentally wrong mm. with uh, life. Mm. So a couple stories about abnormal anxiety. That's what we're going to talk about first. As please, I please, yeah. All yeah. right, so um, I had a, a client. Um, he's, um, uh, he, he was a young man. Uh, he's older now, but he's a young man then. He had performance anxiety. He was always afraid he was going to get fired or he was going to get found out. He thought that was, that was a sentence that ran through his mind. Somebody's going to find out you don't know what you're doing. Uh, and he told about this instance where he was given a presentation with a team member in front. It was an important presentation in front of some important people. And he gave his part of the presentation, and he didn't feel any anxiety. Uh, he felt uh, like he had something in front of him. He had the facts in front of him, and he felt pretty good about it. Then he stood over to the side of the podium, while his partner gave the rest of the presentation. And that was where it started coming. He felt like everybody's looking at me. I look dumb standing here. I look extra. I don't, I don't look like I belong. People are thinking things about me. And his heart started pounding. His breathing changed. He felt like he was going to faint or mm. uh, pass out. 
and he had that terrible, um, it was a panic attack, it was a mild panic attack, and he had that terrible choice of do I run from the stage and people know that something's wrong, or do I stay here and take the chance that I'm going to actually pass out? Mm. So that's, that would be an example of um, a panic kind of anxiety. So that's kind of like me right now. Do I run? They'll think something's yeah. wrong if I'm yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Don't, yeah. don't run. Don't, I won't Because it would leave me. Okay. That would okay. be worse. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So protect, the, protect the guest. Um, <laughs> another um, um, story is a man, he was a decorated policeman. He was great in all kinds of highly tense situations. But in social situations, when he went um, to gather at a party and there was small talk, um, it was just scary for him. So he always wore a sweater. No matter how, what the weather was, he always wore a sweater because he would start sweating. He would have these big sweat uh, stains under his shirt, and he was very embarrassed about that. So he always wore a sweater. Mm-hmm. Right? So... Um, some of you might feel that during the meet and greet time. You know, I always, always dodge those times. I go into the waste can or something to avoid that. And then there's a story of a student that I had uh, at uh, Davidson. And he had uh, sort of a, an unease feeling. And, and the way he coped with it, he was organized. He'd organize his life. He'd organize his desk. And he told me that it got to the point that he would even try to organize his pocket. Hmm. So I don't know if you've ever tried to organize your pocket, but it's not easy to do. <laughs> um, and so that would be uh, another type of... Um, um, and all these people are smart. They look a lot like that second row over there. <laughs> um, smart, competent, capable people, um, just like them. But you're right, uh, 20%, uh, 19 or 20%. Uh, folks uh, in the United States will have um, some form of this disproportionate anger this year. Disproportionate level anger. Disproportionate. Yeah. It might be um, moderate or mild, but it gets into that area where we would call it a disorder or disproportionate. Mm. So lots of people are experiencing it. Sometimes you don't even know what to call it. Mm. That's so. helpful, Roger. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this when you and I got lunch. I thought that was so interesting. We talked about um, how difficult this is as a topic for Christians to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that a lot of us grew up in families or, or in religious environments or churches where uh, we were told we're supposed to be victorious in Jesus, right? And if we just prayed about it, we, we wouldn't worry or, uh, or it was actually a lack of faith or something like that. Why, why is this such a hard topic for Christians to talk about. Uh, I think it is a hard topic, and um, uh, people often wait till it gets to uh, a high point before they come to see me because of that reason. But in a word, I would say the reason it's so hard is shame. Um, um, it's not necessarily that Christians are more judgmental than other people, although <laughs> um, we tend to have meetings where we feel the shame, and other people, you just don't know. Um, but we were ashamed about it, and we think that since anxiety is a mental, uh, emotional thing, we think that we should be able to believe our way out of it or think our way out of mm-hmm. it. If it's in our mind, there's something wrong. But I would say that the brain is an organ, too. It's part of the body, too. And the results of 
the fall of Adam and Eve not only made us sinners, but it broke the world and it broke our bodies with it. So our bodies are broken too. And if you have a broken leg, you don't tend to say, well, if I just thought about this different, it wouldn't be broken. I'll just go ski to show how much faith I have. Um, the Christian response to a broken leg is you, you um, admit it, you do what healing requires, and you try to adjust your attitude to the cost of it, but you, you accept it at some level. And so part, sometimes anxiety can be that um, genetic or um, part of our body has gotten um, broken. And secondly, I say it's hard for Christians because ironically we're in a community that um, is a heart-based community and so sometimes people will ask you how you're doing and they kind of mean it and you have to uh, decide what to do you have to decide if you're going to pretend like everything's okay Mm. or lie about it or take a chance on uh, telling the truth and that can be a hard situation for christians too is they can't hide as easily in a community. Yeah. So I'm asked, how are you doing at Walmart? And I just usually say, fine, how are you? But if I'm in my community group or if I'm at church, and right. they might actually want to know they what's going on. They might want to know. So it's yeah. another reason to avoid community group, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so. that's right. Deed's going to love that I, one. I guess I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Boy, you tapped on you tapped on something yeah, sensitive something right there, didn't you? Yeah, energy, yeah, yeah, holy cow! Boy, maybe we need to do a series about community groups yeah, next. All right, here we go. Uh, well, this is a tricky question then, because on the one hand, uh, you know, all of us deal with general anxiety to some extent or another. Uh, many of us will deal with uh, disproportionate anxiety. I love that phrase. Um, how does someone know, whether it's general or disparate, how does someone know when it might be time for them to get some help? How, how, how does someone know when it's time to reach out to Barnabas or someone? And how, and how do they do that? Yeah. Well, when, we, when we're low on counseling, that's the time. <laughs> um, well, if, you're, if you are self-aware and you look at your life, and you start seeing uh, ways that you're living fear-based versus love-based, it's time to do something. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because not only is that a part of your uh, duty and uh, response to Christ's love, it's also how you feel most fulfilled. So the time to do something, whether that's professional counseling or just looking at your own life. This this past week I had a a young mom that came to see me and... um, what she noticed was her irritability with her kids. She got stressed out, and it would result in uh, anger and irritability. She's not having panic attacks. She's not, but she thought it's time to do. I don't want to live like this. Mm-hmm. I don't. This is not who I want to be. This is not why I want to give my kids. So she made some decisions. She did some resets in her life, including uh, she's going to stop drinking for a year. She's not drinks. She doesn't drink a lot, but she realizes that. Um, she'll take some uh, wine in the evening or sometimes during the day when things get stressful and maybe that's not so good. Mm. So she's trying to alter her life. So it's time to, when you, when you feel like you're being driven by fear more than you're driven by love, it's time to, time to take some action. 
in your life. As far as professional help, the, the general rule of thumb is when anxiety is messing with your ability to function. Okay, that line there, when you when you're avoiding things, uh, you don't go to work because you're afraid you're going to have that panic attack, or you don't do presentations uh, because, or you hide from things, or maybe you're um, it's affecting your concentration and you can't that these intrusive thoughts are flying in and you can't you can't uh, do it and you're trying to compensate and hide, or maybe it's affecting your relationships, your um, um, uh, you know, the, the, the per- proverbial thing that I see a lot is uh, in marriages, uh, some of their conflicts are driven by anxiety, right? And so, uh, and then their, ang- their conflicts are driven by anxiety too because there tends to be one person that, that um, conflict increases their anxiety, so they run away. Mm-hmm. And one person that irresolve increases their anxiety, so they chase. And they chase around the house till they end up in a cul-de-sac, like the bathroom, and that's where they have their fights, right? Uh, but anxiety drives a lot of that. If we can reduce the anxiety, mm. what's, what's the question again? No, that was great. That was okay, good. I forgot. So, so that's the when it's interfering with your relationships. Mm. And how does one do? Is that as simple as a phone call and email? Is that how easy it is to yeah, take I'd, that step? Yeah, I'd recommend stalking the counseling center online first. Yeah. Uh, see what it's about. Um, check, check, check it out, uh, and call. You know, look online and then, then make the call and you can get that set up. It's pretty, little paperwork. It's pretty yeah. easy. So, Roger, I remember, you know, I've uh, sought out professional counseling multiple times in my life, um, and it's been amazingly beneficial to me. But I remember that first time how nervous I felt, and a lot of folks maybe have never done that. Um, uh, is it in general that first meeting is just kind of an orientation, isn't it? And, and usually doesn't cost anything. It's just an initial consultation. Yeah. Well, it does cost. It does cost. Remember. Okay. Well, there you go. That's good yeah. to know. Another reason to avoid counseling. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, now, um, some counselors you can you can have a, a few minutes on the phone to ask some questions. Mm-hmm. You can ask questions to the front desk. So there's some ways. But yeah, that first time you're kind of giving a life story. You're talking about the the um, the, the background of what you're trying to do, and that counselor should be able to say, well, I think I can be of help here, or you need to go see this person because that'd be more more served. Good. Uh, very helpful. So that leads kind of to this next question. Uh, we've been talking a lot about how anxiety is not just mental and emotional, <clears throat> but it's something that involves our bodies and even our brain chemistry. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, that said, uh, what is the role of medication uh, in a healthy growth plan, um, h- how should Christians think about the integration of faith and medication? Well, again, we, we think we should be able to fix it ourselves by sheer willpower. But if there is a broken part of the brain, a process that's looping your thoughts or looping these fears, um, then that that brain issue needs to be addressed as well. Now, medication is not the only way to deal with brain or body issues. There's things like getting enough sleep. A lot of you are, are sleep deprived. Uh, you think, well, I can do it, just, you know, but you can't. Um, uh, some of you are um, not exercising very much, and that, that tends to um, store up stress. Um, so you do things for your body, 
and one of those is medication, and medication can be of help. So it's kind of like diabetes. If the diet is not getting your blood sugar to where it needs to be, medication is indicated. Um, but when you do medication, you ought to educate yourself. There are different types of medications. Medication can be a little bit of a gamble because it has um, side effects that you don't like and sometimes they're prohibitive. Uh, you need to understand those, you need to talk about them with your doctor, and you need to not just do medications, you need to do the other things that help your body stay healthy and deal with stress. That's just common sense, I know, but that's... Uh, that's a helpful parallel. I've not thought of it that way. I, I'll, I'll talk to folks who will, who will do just medication, hoping that that's going to solve it, but that, that's kind of like doing uh, insulin in, injections, but not changing the rest of my diet or yeah, health right, patterns right. and things. So, right. uh, yeah. Good. Uh, Roger, this, for many of us, um, worry and anxiety are battles um, that we feel like we have to fight alone. Um, and I know we kind of laughed about some of the community group stuff, but, but I think that there's this hesitation for a lot of folks to kind of out themselves on this, right? Uh, either because, gosh, I, 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 you know, I remember reading an article uh, in the newspaper once that uh, said 40% of men in their 40s. I remember the 40-40. said 40% of men in their 40s uh, are afraid that their boss is going to find out they're not competent for the job they currently have, right? Uh, and, and so, so living with, and you don't want to out yourself on that uh, yeah. because it's embarrassing or, or fearful. A lot of folks are afraid. Others are, are they just don't want to be a burden. They already feel a burden, and they don't want to be a greater burden to their family or their loved ones. Um, that said, how... How do we think about the role of others' relationships in our journey with anxiety and worry? What is the role of others? Yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think um, it is hard to out ourselves. We don't want to go to somebody and say, hey, I sweat a lot, right? Because um, they start watching you. Yeah. Right? And then you start sweating more. <laughs> um, others have a very significant role in any struggle. Sin or physical struggle, um, others or an emotional struggle or relational struggle, others have an important role. Hiding and managing what you're going through takes uh, an inordinate amount of energy. And that fatigue increases your ability to make bad decisions. And so uh, sharing the burden, which is what the scripture says, has a tremendous effect on uh, getting us out of that self-shaming cycle. When you can admit something's going on, it takes you outside the anxiety cycle that, uh, by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps you calm down. Secondly, when you can find... A, um, it's one thing to be inside your head trying to describe the anxiety. It's another thing when there's another person listening. Or, or a journal is another way to get it out. But describing what you're going through... Um, has a, a storytelling redemption effect that it, you get outside of it. And if you have a trustworthy person listening, you don't feel so alone, and it has a, um, has a healing effect. Yeah. Helps you helps you understand what you're really facing, and you don't feel so crazy. I, I love that. When we were talking, we talked about that verse that you just, just referenced from the New Testament, that we are to carry one another's burdens, right? And uh, that, we're, that in doing so, we actually fulfill what the Bible calls the law of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of laws for us. Uh, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Uh, lay down your life for 
carry one another's burdens. This is one of Jesus' big things for us to think about. And and that seems to be the very thing you're talking about. How how does one um, support or help a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a child or even a parent, uh, who is dealing with anxiety? Let's say that's not my issue, right? But, But my spouse's, or maybe it's not my spouse's issue, but it's my... How do we help someone going through this? What do we say? What do we not say? What do we do? What do we not do? Okay. Well, um, this is a chance for me to talk to all you helpers out there. Um, churches tend to gather helpers, and helpers can be pretty annoying. <laughs> um, now, your heart's in the right place, and uh, getting some training. Uh, learning uh, how to be a helper, that means you use your gift, and the body of Christ needs that gift uh, sorely. So um, if you're a helper, um, you tend to make one of two errors. You tend to um, um, want to fix it too quickly. Um, you misunderstand or you don't take the time to understand that what doesn't look so big on the outside is very big and real, uh, scary uh, on the inside. So taking the time to actually hear someone out, uh, don't assume that you know what they're talking about, even if you do know what they're talking about. Mm. Give them the respect and the privilege of being able to try to put words to it. And if they struggle with it, give them the privilege of struggling with it. Mm. Uh, anxiety is very difficult to describe to someone if you've never put words to it. So as a helper, um, don't fix it too quickly. The other error that uh, helpers make is they're a little too sympathetic, almost drippy sympathetic, and they always want to hug you, right? And if you've got anxiety, especially social anxiety, that kind of creeps you out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, try to be um, uh, understanding, but matter-of-fact. Uh, respecting some distance, respecting that they might not want to jump right into the uh, sympathy uh, pool. Listen. Don't assume you know, even if you do. Help them describe it and try to understand. That's the biggest thing you can do is help them get the anxiety out here where they can see it as well. Good. Well, two last questions, and one of them builds on that. You know, we talked, uh, Roger, I, I probably hear... at at least every other week from a parent uh, whose child is facing something that is stressful or worrying or anxiety-inducing, and they're they're just saying, Aaron, I I really don't know what to do. You know, telling your child, hey, that's not a big deal, or hey, stop worrying. That just doesn't seem to work real well, right? Um, I wonder why. But uh, could you tell, what, how can parents specifically, it's probably some version of those things, how can parents Mm -hmm. help their kids when their kids are dealing with worry. Okay. I want to pl- plug this. Uh, there's a, some on the back. It's called uh, Growing Up Peaceful. It's the, by, by a colleague of mine, uh, Meredith Spatola, and it's about uh, parents dealing with kids with anxiety. It's an excellent seminar, and uh, if you really want to look through this, this, read this and do that. But I, I talked to my wife about this one, and I said, what, you know, what should I say about that question? And her advice was, uh, I thought, dead on. The biggest thing you can do as a parent um, is help the environment. So provide a healthy home. 
make, make for a healthy home in all kinds of ways. That lowers the stress that your kid's dealing with. It gives them a safe place to come back to. Uh, and I mean healthy with a diet. I mean healthy with the way you do relationships. I know some of you, there's tension in the home, and this is another reason to deal with that, is to, is to slow things down for the, for, the, for the kids as well. They do not have to be virtuosos in the flute, soccer, languages, and science. There's a big pressure, uh, and sometimes we put pressure on our kids. Um, TV and devices, mm. uh, another way that you need to think about being healthy. We don't deal with that issue no, at all. No, I'm yeah, sure yeah, we yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're right, the, 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 besides the health of sleep uh, for your kids, those, those things are um, uh, tremendously important for the backdrop for someone to be able to deal with uh, anxiety that's on top of, you know, some of your kids are going to struggle even with a healthy environment. They're still going to struggle with anxiety. The next thing to do is to be a, a listening ear. And this is really hard because some anxiety presents as rebellion or obstinance, right? And, and it sometimes is part of that too. So um, it's, it's exasperating. You want the kid to be able to jump in the pool like the rest of the kids or go up and bat or or be involved, and it's frustrating, and you fear for them. Um, but listening to what's going on with them, having an open environment for that is the best thing for them to start understanding what they're going through mm. and learn to be able to um, cope with it and manage it. They're going to have to be able to do it maybe for a long time. Yeah. Well, tell your wife that's great advice. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. I will. Yeah. Uh, last question, Roger. We, we talked about this. So we got lunch a couple weeks ago. Uh, what's that sandwich place called? McAllister. We got yeah. lunch at McAllister's. And, and uh, you asked me a question. And when you asked this question, I, I just stopped eating. I mean, I could not. This question just grabbed a hold of my imagination and has not let go ever, ever since. Uh, you said this. You said, Aaron, is it possible that there is something redemptive about our anxiety? And as someone who has battled this my entire life, uh, I had never asked that question. Uh, tell, tell, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by redemptive there. Okay. First of all, help me with my anxiety. How much time do we have? Oh, we're fine. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to communion in about four minutes. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll make a four-minute answer. Perfect, then. perfect. Um, well, I, I started uh, the definition of anxiety as something is the feeling that something is wrong. And the truth is, um, the, the human condition truth, the worldwide truth, is something really is wrong. The Freudians say that um, we spend all our lives trying to figure out how to get back into the womb where we felt safe. Uh, Christians often say we spend our lives trying to get back into Eden um, because we were made for Eden and we're not there, and this bugs us. Something's fundamentally wrong. Our anxiety is often misplaced, but it's not mistaken. So anxiety teaches us that there's something wrong. In the Genesis account, um, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they immediately sensed that something was wrong. And they took action to, to figure that out. So they, they covered themselves with the fig leaves, whatever was at hand. They grabbed to try to take care of that problem themselves. 
And when God came looking for them, which note, God did come looking for them, and he still does come looking for us. And he said, where are you? Uh, Adam's response was uh, telling about the human condition. He said, I was naked because, I, I mean, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that's what we do. We know that we're naked and we can't cover ourselves adequately. This scares us. It makes us afraid. So we hide. The hiding doesn't quite work. Fig leaves are not that covering. Um, One washing and they're... um, So our fig leaves don't work. And generally what we do is we double down on our strategies and try to find something else. We work harder or we spend more time on YouTube watching cat videos, which if you're going to pick one, cat videos, um, but we spend more time, or performance, or uh, building our RRA. So um, we look for something to hide behind to make us feel okay, but nothing works, and that anxiety persists. Anxiety flushes us out of hiding. Mm-hmm. Whether it's disproportionate anxiety or anxiety about bears and crossing the street, or whether it's existential or spiritual anxiety, it flushes us out and it puts a finger on that there's some fear inside of us. And it's not all mistaken. There's something wrong. And it asks us, where are you with that? And so if we, if we answer honestly to what's going on with us and what it feels like, uh, it leads you back to your great, great need for something bigger than yourself, for some kind of meaning, for Eden, for life to fill you up, which leads us back to our need for God. Mm. And God says, if you ask, I'll give you living water. Mm. So it takes us back to that ultimate question, if we let it, if we uh, listen to it, and if we're honest about it. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, Ben, you guys go ahead and come on up. Uh, Roger, we're going to come to communion uh, just as a chance kind of of saying that. God, we want to acknowledge our need for you and uh, and thank you for coming mm-hmm. and looking for us, even in the midst of our anxiety. Yes. Um, would you mind praying for us?